John, and we covered and talked about the real issue uh, with Christ and his ministry that uh, the people of his day were having an issue with. I think as you come through the Gospel of John, chapters 6 and 7 have really been uh, good in a number of ways, but uh, one of the ways is showing us the really the key area in our Christian lives uh, that uh, of things that we face, and it really answers a lot of questions. You know, people, Christians, most of them do not ever get to the place in their life where they really understand how to look at things the way maybe they totally should, and therefore, when they see something, they they get they get uh, they get confused about it because they don't really see how the thing all lays itself out. And we saw that it was his doctrine, what he taught, what he stood up and taught the people. And we saw that, uh, that the, the doctrine that he had in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29 was his authority. And the scribes and the Pharisees that were against him had no doctrine, and they had no authority. And this is why they had an issue with him. And, you know, and again, I gave you the definitive verse on doctrine in the Bible, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. And this is why the leaders of the nation of Israel, one, they hated him, and they wanted to get rid of him. Doctrine, as defined in the Bible, will always be equivalent to the authority that you have from God to do what God wants you to do. And this is a simple, fundamental truth, and it is so prevalent, not only in the days of the Lord Jesus, but today. And we know that that authority is the Word of God. And I'll tell you also this, people, just like in Jesus' day, People who have no authority <clears throat> will always hate those that do. And that is just the way it has been from the time of Jesus right up through church history, right up to the day that we live in. And I showed you how that you build a rock-solid Christian life. Six basic fundamental little concepts that if you begin to put them into your life, which is what I try to do with you here, that it will give you a relationship with Christ that will be unequal today. And certainly it will get you through everything that is going on in this world today. Not only in the world, but in Christianity. And it started with sound doctrine. And I gave you all the references for these. And I told you how that once you get sound doctrine in your life, it leads to a sound mind. Now you're looking at things from a Bible perspective, not your own emotional swing into things. And that will produce a sound faith. Now, you not only know what you believe, but you know why you believe it. Now you're able to explain to somebody, not just throw out the verses, but be able to go underneath the surface and really help them understand, you know, what the doctrine is that you're teaching so they can grasp it too. Sound faith will produce sound words. Your ability to, to learn how to speak the language of heaven. Learn how to speak uh, through Bible sound doctrine, sound words, 
And once you begin to articulate those words into discussions, into books that you may write, into whatever, you know, sermons or devotions that you may put together, now you have sound speech. So we start with sound doctrine, move into sound mind, which produces a sound faith, which gives us the sound words, which gives us sound speech. And then the last thing we talked about was sound wisdom and discretion. And ultimately, those things in your life will do two things. First of all, it'll give you the soundness in your own Christian life. And if you're a mom or a dad or you have a family, it'll produce a sound family if you bring those things through. Building a rock-solid Christian life that will, as I said, will get you through whatever you face. You know, we... uh, we're we're going through some very tough times now in America and certainly around the world. And I understand. We've talked about it many, many times, how all this equates to, you know, the end times and everything. And sometimes, you know, when we're in the middle of something that we are going through, um, we, we lose sight of the fact that we're not the only ones that ever went through something. I was watching last night, you know, yesterday was the anniversary for 9-11, and there was a lot of things on there, and I was watching a documentary, uh, a series last night, just, you know, of, of the 9-11 progression, how it all went. And once it got past 9-11, it got into all of the things that our country, uh, our government was doing illegally uh, in other parts of the world, and in here to make sure that under their guidelines, you know, the pretense of national security, but clearly was illegal. And, and anybody who would watch that would, would be enraged or incensed probably because of the fact that they think that, that why would our government do that? I got news for you. Our, any government. I mean, we don't have to just stop with 9-11. Let's go back to Vietnam. Let's go back to, let's go back to World War II. Let's go back uh, where, wherever you want to go. Governments, even though they're ordained of God, I'm telling you, they're not of God. And they're going to do the things that they do to project their agenda. And sometimes when we, when we, when we, when we live in our own tough times, we, we think that, you know, the country has gotten so bad that now here it is. It was never literally like this before. It's always been like this. It's just been about different things. And uh, it's a, you know, we, we, if, if the truth would ever come out about everything that has happened, not just here, but around the world and all the governments, you would be amazed. Maybe you wouldn't be. But it's a thing where you, no matter where you lived in time in history, God's people had to get through whatever they're getting through. And uh, it's a thing where I remember in my day, you know, when the Vietnam War was raging, uh, young men, you know, it was the age of the free love hippie movement, you know, and you don't even know what a hippie is anymore. They all died out with the Tranosaurus Rexes back in the Stone Age. But anyway, it was a thing where all the young men, everybody was against the war. You'd walk down the street in your, in your uniform, people would spit on you. You see, we've, we've went way the other way now where everybody's a hero now. But it's a thing where in that day, in that war, it was very unpopular. Young men like you guys to avoid the draft, and you don't even know what the draft was. You think the draft today is somebody left the window open. 
back in my day, there was a draft. The draft was that when you turned 18, you went into the military. And, uh, you know, you didn't have a say about it. You got drafted. And, of course, I was one of the few guys that beat the draft. I enlisted. But it was a thing where that's that the draft was. And there was guys that were going to Canada, burning their draft cards. And they were going to Canada because they didn't want to fight in the Vietnam War. And, uh, you know, it was a tough, very tough time. Our country was very divided. I, I don't think there has been a time in the last maybe 75 years that this country hasn't been divided. And, uh, you know, and you know me, I'm not a politician. I don't care about politics one way or the other. I understand. But you know what? We have seen in this last week where our country is even now more divided. President Biden got up last week with his, ma- with his vaccine mandate, and what he did, he just, you know, and here's a guy that said that he was going to bring all everybody together when he came into office. All he's done is divide it. Now, after last week, if you don't get the vac- vaccination, you're a bad guy. If you do get it, you're a good guy. Standing up there and saying this, this pandemic is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, are you kidding me? Let me tell you the truth here. And I'm not a politician, but I ought to be. But I don't want to be assassinated in the first 10 minutes I'm in office. But anyway, it's not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's not a pandemic of the vaccinated. It's a pandemic of China. Why don't we find out where this thing really started and work backwards from there? Oh, no, no, no. So, see, now, you, know what, you know what the Bible says? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And that's why God's people today, no matter whatever your choice is, the unity has to hold everything together because of the fact that somebody needs to send him a good Sunday school lesson on free will. It's a thing where it's, it's, this country is so divided, and it isn't going to ever come back together. But that's the time that we live in. If you live back in the, in the Vietnam War, it was divided then. If you live back in World War II, till it really got going, it was divided then. Everybody thinks about the Nazis, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and how terrible they were, and they were. And uh, they're over in Germany. Most people don't even know that. You know that there was an American Nazi party, the American Bund Society, that in Madison Square Garden, they wore German uniformed swastika flags, and it was prevalent throughout this country. It was divided then. It was divided on prohibition. It was divided on World War I. It was divided on everything. Because the only thing that will bring any country or organization together is that book. And when you lose the book, you're divided. And a house cannot stand that is divided. And this is why we as a church, as any church, have the ability to stay unified in the midst of a divided nation or a divided country or a divided city or a divided anything. Building a rock-solid Christian life that is built on sound principles. And uh, you also remember we talked about the, the key area of sound doctrine uh, will be the fruit of it. 
Sound doctrine, a sound mind produces sound fruit. In the Old Testament, Israel was told to bear fruit. You'll find that many places in the Old Testament. The easiest one would be Matthew chapter 21, verse 34. In the New Testament, we are told to bear fruit. Proverbs eleven thirty: the fruit of the righteous is as a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. In the Old Testament, they're under the kingdom of heaven, so their fruit was literal. In the New Testament, we're under the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, so our fruit is spiritual. But we are to bear fruit, and Israel had no fruit. This is the problem. Israel, like America, like the world, was a divided nation. And you know what divided them? Doctrine. And many of God's people today don't have any fruit either. So we learned some great principles last week to add to all the others that we have learned. So today, keeping in a kind of a consistency here, I want to continue on in chapter 7, and I want to look at another great area that he talks about that we need to understand today. Now, so far, we have seen his first coming. We've seen his revealing himself as the Son of God, the Word of God, to the nation of Israel. And we have seen now his rejection on three levels. First off, the leaders of Israel who didn't want his authority, didn't want his doctrine and had a problem with him. The second one was the nation of Israel itself in a national sense. And then we saw just a couple of weeks ago how his own personal family, his brothers and his sisters, other than James, they wanted nothing to do with him and rejected him too. And then we began to see, last time we were together, the real issue. You know, I, in any problem you deal with and with any issue that comes up, no matter what, if you're going to solve it, you've got to get to the bottom line of it. You've got to get to the base level of what the real issue is. And the real issue, once you peel back all the layers of the first coming of Christ, was his doctrine. What he taught that went against what the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't want to hear. He had a ministry that they never had. And today, I want to look at another great principle found in chapter 7, verse 24. Just one verse. But we'll have some fun with this today, and you'll go out of here maybe a little smarter than when you came in. Not that you're stupid, but it's always good to get a little more information about things, especially with God. And it simply says this, judge not, verse 24, chapter 7, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you, Father, for all the good things that you have done in our church, for all the great people that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for your blessing and your hand of protection that you take care of us. We thank you for the unity here around the Word of God that though the world may split, even Christianity may split, this church will always hold to the truths that hold us together, and that is the Word of God that, that gives us the, the, the strength to be and do what God has called us to do. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for today. Thank you for those that are here. And may you uh, put us under the blood this morning that we may be able to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name and the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, Last week, as you know, I gave you those six areas of soundness, your really foundation of your spiritual strength. 
And the last one was in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21, where once you get everything else, it leads to sound wisdom and sound discretion. Now, I want to put that into a context, and we're going to use it today in light of this verse. And uh, there's some really great things here in all of this. So let's go back and look for just a moment at Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm going to pick it up, our verse is 21, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 and read it down through verse 26 because it kind of all goes together. Now here's what he says. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than of gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the cloud dropped down the dew. And here's our verse. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear. Well, we went through that. That's a very prominent verse today. There's something new, scary every morning coming out. Uh, uh, Neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Now, this is one of the greatest passages in the Bible. And, uh, you know, in the world that we live in, as I said, in any time in Christianity, and obviously the history of the world, Sudden fear, things that come up, things that challenge your way of life, things that challenge uh, your family, things that challenge a country. And yet the Bible says, when the nation fails and you have no confidence in it, when the government falters and you have no confidence in it, when the politicians and you certainly have no confidence in them. Amen. Our confidence, my friend, needs to be in the Lord. Amen. Now that's where my confidence is today. I don't trust anybody out there. You tell me it's up, I think it's down. You say it's left, I look and right. If it's black, it's white. If it's white, it's black. And I just don't believe anything. This, this world is against us. You've you got to understand the big picture here. This isn't about somebody taking away your right or your liberty, though that's based fundamentally what's going to happen. It's about a bigger picture. It's about a world control. It's about somebody trying to stop what God has enabled his people to do. And that's all that it is. And you know why you would have sudden fear that would make you afraid? We saw it through the pandemic. Good people, honestly, good people 
saved people. Some of them I'd known for 20, 30 years, maybe longer. Good people. No longer a part of this church or probably going to any church. You know why? Because a sudden fear came up and they had put confidence in the wrong things. Now, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm here. I can't speak for you. I wouldn't presume to speak for you. I'm here still with everything that we have been through and everything we're probably going to go through, I am still here because my confidence is not shaken that greater is he that's in me that's in the world. I believe that he will get me through no matter what that may be. The problem with God's people, because you have no confidence in him, you're scared to death of what that just might be you'll have to go through. I don't care. What could be worse than hanging on a cross and dying? And he did that for me. But God's people today, we're not willing to do that for him. We allowed him to bear his cross for us, but we're not willing to bear our cross for him. You know why? Right there. No confidence. Now, I try to build, and we're going to go through this in leadership training class. My goal is to build confidence in you. I like people that are confident. I like young men and young ladies that have a confidence about them. And we have a, a, a truckload of uh, people in this church that exhibit confidence. But uh, that confidence will only come. I don't want it confident because of your abilities. I want you confident because of the Word of God and your confidence in the Lord. Your abilities may fail you someday, but the Lord never will. So this is a great passage here. And I want to say again, if you think the sudden fear is over, if you think we're going to, in this life where we're at in relationship to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you think it's all going to be peace and rosy and it's going to be nice and we're going to have an easy time and there's going to be nothing to be afraid about, I got news for you. We're all going 9-11 yesterday, you know, and, and, and we're thinking back of all the people that got killed, and rightly so, it was a terrible tragedy. But we're losing sight of the fact that we, 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 we just gave back to the very people who killed us at 9-11 everything that they need to do it again. And, and, and look, I don't want to be president. I don't want to be a congressman. I, I don't want to be any of those things. I'm much too honest for that. And I'm a crook. But you would think somebody could figure it out. I know you. I see your heads bobbing up like a little bobble dobble on, on your dashboard of your car. You get it. You understand it. I mean, in New York, if there's something wrong with me, just let me know. In New York, you can't buy a gun to protect yourself. All the bad guys got a gun, but you can't have one. I didn't see what the murder rate was in New York, but it probably was pretty good lefty with everybody out on the street. Chicago is the same thing. All the big cities, Portland, all in California, you can't own a gun. You can't buy a gun. You can't have a gun. Because if you want a gun, can have a gun and get a gun, you're a criminal. But we just gave $80 million worth of guns to the terrorists. Now, is that me? I guess maybe, I guess maybe it is. Now, I, 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 I don't claim to be, have some superior intellect. I really don't. 
My claim to fame is I'm the fastest one of the slow class. Uh, but I am a reasonable, intelligent individual. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not looking for answers. I know nothing's going to fix it, but you've got to realize that the big picture of this, we're going to get hit again. If you think they're not going to come after us, you're crazy. Maybe not this week, maybe not next week, but I guarantee you, I mean, come on. They dedicated their brand new government in Afghanistan on the very day of 9-11. What does that tell you? And if you don't get the vaccine, you're a bad person. If you get it, you're a good person. We divided our country, but we put around on the Taliban and said, they're really cooperating with us. They're really doing nice things, and they're helping us. And they are very professional. They're very businesslike. Yes, and when they put you on your knees and take that dull knife and cut your head off, the last word gaggling out of your mouth as the blood flows out was, was how nice they are. You see, nothing makes any sense. I, and I'm not fighting it. I don't care. I'm just trying to get you to see nothing makes any sense in the world. But we're in this world. You want to know how stupid it is? Last week, you're a federal worker, you get vaccinated. If you've got a business that's got 99, 100 people over it, everybody has to get vaccinated. At Chief Stadium, show your passport. You want to go to a movie theater, show your passport. Everybody, everybody, you need to get vaccinated. And we just let, what, 30, 40, 250,000 illegal aliens across the border, and they don't have to be? I'm not a troublemaker. I'm not. I'm the nicest guy you'll ever meet. But I'm not stupid. And I didn't say all that because I'm anti-government. I'm not anti-anything. I'm telling you that because sudden fear is going to come upon us again. And if your confidence it isn't in the right things, if you think a year ago when you all panicked because you didn't want to get the the pandemic, COVID-19, and you were all hiding under rocks and running away and doing all these things. If you think that was bad, where do you go to the mall at Christmas time, packed with people, and somebody comes in with a vest and it blows up and kills 200 people? Where do you, where do you, where do you get a dirty bomb in some big city that kills 100,000 people? Now, you're not going to stop that. It's already in play that we have nothing in our arsenal that's going to be, stop that because of who we are. I'm telling you, you better get your confidence in the right thing. Amen. And you better quit trusting in whatever you're trusting in. And you better realize and understand that sudden fear is going to come upon us just like it has to God's people all down through history. And nobody's going to stop it, especially now because of where we're at. And I'll say the big picture, all this, is the mystery of iniquity doth already work. But as a house divided cannot stand. And we are a divided nation, like Israel. They didn't stand. 70 A.D., brother, when Titus came down, oof. Now, as a child of God, 
you're going to have to make some choices in life. I have to make choices in life. Life is about choices, if you ain't figured it out yet. And you're going to have to make some decisions. And some of those decisions will be classified as judgment calls, things you have to decide. Some will be rather easy. Some will be hard. And some will be really, really hard. And some of them, my dear friend, will cost you something. And we always, and we all, along with these choices, we have to look at situations and we have to make a judgment call. Making a judgment on a value system as to what we allow in our lives. An easy example of that would be the world. My judgment on the world is I want nothing to do with it in my life. That's an easy one. But in doing that, Our verse says that we are to use sound wisdom and discretion. Now, that will be the ability to make a judgment on an issue or something without emotion or prejudice. Now, let me just say this. We get emotional and we make decisions based on prejudice because of fear. Now, I'm not saying you just need to cancel out your emotions. I'm not saying that at all. But you need to look at things from a Bible standpoint based on the six sound things that I gave you, and you need to be objective in that judgment. And making that sound judgment will always be based on last week, as I just said, the six areas of soundness that we put in our lives. But it will always go back to where it starts in the Bible with number one, sound doctrine. Now, our verse today will bring up a couple of areas that we need to look at, and we need to put it into a proper context for you. Because we already know that sudden fear is not over by any stretch of the imagination. And we already know that the Lord needs to be our confidence. So when it comes to the teaching on judging or judgment, you'll find people are all over the place to it. You know, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. That's always a favorite of people. Judge not, lest you be judged. I I hear that all the time. Usually that is used because somebody really doesn't want to do what's right and they don't want you to correct them on it. So it's judge not, lest you be judged. Don't judge me. Well, I get that. Yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, that he that is spiritual judges all things. So I heard many, many times where somebody said, judge not lest to be judged. And I say back, that is true, but my Bible says he that is spiritual judges all things. Now it seems to be a contradiction, doesn't it? Of course it didn't. To the untrained eye, you'll probably scratch your head and say, well, what do you do with that? But to anybody with just a little bit of understanding, you'll see that Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, Judge not lest you be judged, that's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 10. And that little piece of advice there has nothing to do with the church age. That's dealing within the millennium and the millennial structure of the constitution of the kingdom when he comes back in Revelation chapter 19 and establishes it in Revelation chapter 20. So that judge not least to be judged has nothing to do with me. That's a millennial context of God dealing with the nation of Israel. But where 
1 Corinthians 2.15. He that is spiritual judges all things. That's a doctrinal statement to the New Testament church. Again, simply rightly dividing the word of truth to get the verse in the proper context. You see, context will always solve 99% of your Bible questions. Context will save the day. So you see somebody throwing out, judge not lest to be judged, yet the Bible says over here in the church age, he that is spiritual judges all things. You can see how, where they put into the context. Now, our verse today, 724, it fits in both categories. It simply says that we are not to judge according to appearance, but we are to judge by a righteous judgment. Now that'll fit in Matthew chapter 7 because it's certainly a righteous judgment when Christ comes back and that'll fit into the church age in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 15 because we have the word of God to, uh, uh, to judge those things uh, uh, as we see them. You want to in life, and this is so important, in life never make your decisions or on just what you see, Amen. on the appearance of something or even what you hear. The old cliche is don't judge a book by its cover. You got to read it to understand if it's any good or not. And I'm telling you right now, you and I will have to judge things as it will impact your life to serve God or the life of your family. Areas or situations that you will decide to allow or you'll not to allow in your world. And there's only two ways to see what's real and divide it from what is not real. People today will say and give the appearance in all kinds of things. Usually to mask and make themselves look better spiritually than they really are. And people out there who do not understand the concepts of 1 Corinthians 2.15 clearly get caught up in it because that verse clearly tells me, first of all, it tells me that I am not to judge people. I want you to see that. I'm not to judge any individual. If I want to judge anybody in the light of God's Word, it needs to be myself. I have no business judging you as an individual. And people get confused on this. And hopefully I'll clear up the confusion for you. God will do that. In fact, in our study on, you know, on the Bible Institute or the seven judgments in the Bible, we went through that. I am not to judge people. But I, if I'm spiritual, I'm to judge all things. See, not people. God, He judges sinners at the great white throne judgment. He judges His sons as us in this life. He judges nations at the second coming. He judges the saved at the judgment seat of Christ. He judges the unsaved at the great white throne. He judges angels at the great white throne. He judges Israel in the tribulation period. I never judge people in anything that they do. Listen carefully. And the reason why I don't do that, and just hear me out now, before you start pulling your hair out because you don't have much left anyhow. I never do that because I can never afford not to like somebody. Now you have people in your world maybe that you don't like. I'm just telling you. I, I, I don't have anybody in my world that I don't like. 
I may not agree with them. I may, I, I, but, but I, I can't in the ministry. The ministry is people. And the moment we get, I get into the place where I start liking somebody and not liking somebody out. Now, I may not like the things that they do, but I can never lose my objectivity. The moment I put people in a category that I don't like them, then I've divided people that I can't help and who I decide I won't help. And maybe you can do that. And I'm not criticizing if you do. In the ministry, for me, I can't do that. Because the minute I do that, then if that person down the line ever wants to turn the corner, I've already made up my mind and lost my objectivity, and I'm out of the, I'm out of the picture. Now, a lot of people have a tough time with that, and I understand that. I like people. I'm a people person. I, I'm like my dad. My dad never met a stranger. And my dad, he liked people. I like people. And uh, the ministry is people. And I understand why people do the things that they do. Now, a lot of times when people do things against us, we don't like it, and that's okay. But I have learned never to take it personal because I understand why people do the things that they do. You're an idiot. And I love idiots. I understand why people do the things that they do. So I don't have to take it personal because I understand human nature. I also understand the principles of the Word of God that when you're, and you're going to learn this in leadership class, when you're in the ministry, you're not going to be popular with everybody. Amen. When you're a leader, I don't care what decision you make, not everybody's going to like it. And the problem is with most Christians, many, many pastors, you try to please everybody. And you can't please everybody. The truth has never pleased anybody. Amen. And you've got to realize that when you, when you have the truth, the authority, People are not going to always like that. And you cannot afford to take that in a personal stance because the moment you do, then you're going to lose the ability to ever minister to them. And you know what? In your mind, you would probably say, that's good because I don't want to minister to them at all. If that was Jesus' mindset about you and me, where would we be today? Do you know how many years, I can't speak for you, do you know how many years I rejected him and blew him off before I finally let him in? Amen. If he would have taken the position that many of God's people take today, where would we be? Now, I'm not trying to be super pious and, and up here and be super spiritual, because I'm not. I am just telling you. You cannot afford, as a child of God, to not like people. Stay with me here. I'm going to show you how you can kill them and still like them in just a minute. <laughs> he that is spiritual judgeth all things. I, I never judge a person as an individual. But I have to make a value judgment of what they do, the things. Do I want that in my life? Do I want that in my church? Do I want that in my family? 
my biggest frustration with people being the people person that I am is seeing wasted potential. I've seen some guys and some gals that I, I thought had great potential. You see little things in their life, that little glimmers of light that if they just would get their act together, they could do really something great. And that frustrates me because nothing is worse in my mind. I don't care. Whatever sin you do, whatever sin you get in with, whatever, whatever your garden variety enjoyment of sin is, nothing is worse to me for a child of God to not fulfill the potential that God has given them. It's what God saved you for. And I see that, and it, 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 it frustrates me. We all make mistakes. There isn't anybody in this room that doesn't do dumb things and make mistakes. The problem is many of God's people never learn from their mistakes. And they continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. But the most tragic thing in a Christian's life is wasted potential. And when I see that into somebody, I never judge a person as an individual. Most cases, I see the potential that, that they don't. But I do have a right to judge what they do as it pertains to me, as it applies to me. Do I want that part of my life, my ministry, or do I want that brought into my family if you have kids? Now, you'll remember that the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, that you and I are to abstain from all what? Appearances of evil. You know, in the Bible, there's never a verse that tells you about the appearance of truth. Because truth is self-evident. You don't have an appearance of truth. Truth is there. The appearance of evil is always used to cover the truth that's there. You want to write that down. That'd be worth some money someday in your life. So I don't judge according to appearance, but I judge rather a righteous judgment. That way it never gets personal in my world. The person may be an idiot. They may be wasting their life. There may be, there may be an absolute jerk when it comes to they have pride, they have arrogance, they have all those things that when I look at that and see that, all that does is make me feel bad because I can see past that and see what they really could be if they just got where they needed to be with the Lord. But I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in my church. I don't want that in my family. And you shouldn't either. That means how does what they do or say or what they are line up with what I want in my life? And I leave my emotions out of it. I, I, build, I base it on a soundness. I base it on this is what is bedrock. And it was already laid out. There's only two ways to see what's real and what's phony. Uh, not by what they say, not by what they claim, or even what they do. Hey, a lot of them go to church. I told you about that family a couple of weeks ago, years ago. They go to church. They have their right Bible. Uh, you know, they, 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 they do everything as the appearance. But I want you to know 
the appearance can be phony. And I'm to abstain from all appearances of evil. Now, when it comes to real Bible-based genuine Christianity, and this is just fundamental stuff, and a real walk with God, you can't fake that. People try to fake it, and people give the appearance that they're walking with God, that they love God, that they're in the Bible. How do you separate that out as a judgment against what you will allow in your life? You can fake an illegitimate Christian life, but you cannot fake the real Christianity. But you have to know what to look for. I never listen to what somebody says. I never listen to what, I never, never watch what just somebody does. I've heard them talk about great swelling words about all this stuff, and you know what? It's all an appearance. Because there's only two absolute things that you can use to make a judgment for your own life, not against the person. I'm to judge all things. The first one will be sound doctrine. Do what they say or do line up with the biblical principles? And let's follow it now. Let's don't just, that's just a blanket statement that you can take anywhere. Let me quantify that. Does what they say or do line up the biblical principles? Here it comes. In their family first and in their own personal life and ministry second. There it is. Well, that's a backbreaker. That'll eliminate half of it right there. Maybe more than half. You see, when you make a statement like that, you know, that the sound doctrine, somebody, everybody out there, well, I believe the Bible, I have sound doctrine, you can go on and on and on. See, we need to quantify that back to the Bible. What you do and what you say, does it line up to the biblical principles in the first two fundamental things that ought to be in your life? Your family first, where are they at? And your ministry second. The second thing is the fruit in their life. Their family first as their own personal fruit, and then their personal life, and then, of course, their ministry. And people don't like what I'm saying right now, and I can hear them screaming their lungs out. But you know what? Your problem is you just, you just got unmasked. You've been hiding under the appearance, boistering your position with all the big swelling words and your ministry and this and that. And now when it comes down to the real truth of judging things and not looking at the appearance, if you don't have these two, I don't care what you say. I get it. People today, God's people, are the most gullible people on the planet, and they will believe what anybody says. I do not. Let me. Quoting 10,000 Bible verses is absolutely nothing more than a smokescreen uh, complete, and completely worthless if you're like the barren fig tree in Luke chapter 13. What's the point? Your family's a mess. You have no fruit in your life, and yet what? with great swelling words. And again, 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. By their fruit you shall know them. And there's absolutely nothing more to say. You can blow smoke all you want. You can scream all you want. You can point fingers where all you want. But when we bring it down to the bottom line, which really defines each of us, by their fruits you shall know them. You see, you can fake Christianity, but you can't fake fruit unless you're going to pay somebody to say that you want them to Christ. Now, as a good illustration of what I said in the New Testament, we see this in the contrast between Christ and the leaders of Israel. And it forms for us a good pattern. The so-called spiritual leaders. The great pattern for all of us today. You see, the scribes of Pharisees, when Christ came to the first coming, they trashed Him. They trashed Him and His ministry 24-7. They tried to discredit him. They pulled people aside and tried to divide the nation over him coming. In Matthew chapter 12 and 13, these very same leaders tell everybody that he is, he just doesn't have a devil, that he is Beelzebub, the Lord of the devils. And that he wasn't God's man. We saw that in John chapter 6, verse 7. (coughs) Now, Let's fast forward this for a minute. I know back then things were different, somewhat. They didn't have any social media back then, but could you imagine if they did? Could you imagine a Jerusalem Facebook? Could you imagine, uh, you know, the uh, camel jockeys and everybody back there that, uh, you know, all the stuff that went on and all the, you know, I mean, uh, it would have been absolutely incredible. Look what they did without that. They called councils together. They called meetings together to plot how they would get rid of him. They accused him of being with wine bibbers and doing this and healing on the Sabbath. They attacked him and his ministry in every venue they could do it. But a blind man could see it. The great contrast between him and them is they absolutely had no fruit in their life. They were the barren fig tree that he's making a reference to. And the only people, learn these things, the only people that followed them were people that were just like them. They had no fruit either. God had done nothing with them. They produced generation after generation of people who was as dead as spiritually as any dead man physically. And all their gossip and rhetoric and slander providing nothing but people just like them. They are birds of the feather, as Revelation 18 says. You know, I was thinking as I put this together, he's dead and home in heaven now, but I remember when Dr. Ruckman was alive, and I knew Dr. Ruckman, we go back to about 1972. And I first met him, <clears throat> I formally met him, when he came to speech at our, our church camp. And him and I talked several times about World War II things, and he loved that and stuff. And, and I, when we were in New York preaching together, I would pick him up, and we'd drive back and forth, and we'd talk back and forth and, <clears throat> and all those things. And, and <clears throat> But I remember that here's a guy who was hated. 
across Christianity. The world didn't even know who he was. I remember one time I just Googled in his name, and there was over 80 pages that came up. The people that absolutely were against everything that he said and did. They hated him. And uh, it was a thing where, you know, they, 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 they just trashed him every which way they could. Some of them wrote books about him. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And yet, when I look at his life and the people who trashed him, who people who got on, I don't think it was even Facebook back then, I don't know, whatever their web pages are, uh, the people who would write all these things, they would actually, they would actually take a picture of a bar with somebody sitting in a bar with a girl and then Photoshop his picture into that picture and then put it out there that he's in the bar with the ladies. It was incredible. There was no end to what they would try to do to destroy him. And yet, when you use the verse we're talking about today and you don't judge by appearance and you judge by a righteous judgment, just make the comparison. You know how many thousands Thousands of young men are in the ministry today because of him. He reached the world in a way with the right truth of the Bible that nobody other than maybe J. Frank Norris did, which did it another way in the 20s, and we've talked about how that goes together before. Hundreds, hundreds, thousands of young men in the ministry today because of what he taught and what he treated. And the people who criticize him, Two chickens and a duck. Nothing. You know why? Because people, listen to me, get this down. People who have no fruit, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they'll always hate people that do. And you can just take that to the bank. Now, on the other hand, we have Christ. And he had fruit all over the place, didn't he? He had the power of God in his life that they did not have. He had the authority of the Word of God. He had the miracles of the Word of God. He was the Word of God, and he had the fruit to prove it. That he was truly God's man. He had doctrine and authority in what he did, and they did not. You want to stay away. You want a piece of advice? Stay away from barren fig trees. They may be nice people. Don't judge the people. Judge the things. People with zero fruit will always be against anybody who has a truckload of fruit. End of story. You see, with Israel, by appearance, they look really good. Right up to the fact that you got past the gas and the smoke. They talked big. They talked loud. They were loved the upper rooms at the synagogues. If you would question them on their love for God, you'd get a dissertation of how their ancestors love God. They love God. They're in the Bible. They're doing this. They're doing that. And oh, how much they love God. Uh, they would give you everything that you wanted to hear. But when you really look close at their lives, they were an empty suit. If you just go and judge by appearance, 
you'll be deceived. But if you use sound doctrine and you look at the fruit, you see what you really have, nothing. And the truth of God separates them back then in Jesus' time, and it will today. You never go by the appearance. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. Remember, the Word of God divides. Let the doctrine of the Word of God reveal what their fruit is. You don't judge the person. You don't get an attitude toward them. You don't say, I don't like that guy. You can't afford to do that. What if down the line someplace that guy or that gal or whoever turns the corner, wants to get their life back in order and do what's right, you've already prejudiced yourself against them. Now, you know what? I'll tell you. It's just true of God's people anyhow. God's people are much more unforgiving than the world many times. And once we get the mindset that we don't like somebody, we don't like them. And as a child of God, we can't afford to be there. So we judge things. Now, he that is spiritual will judge all things, not people. Well, what you really judge is the work that they do to see if you want to be part of that work or you want their work into your work. Now, in our upcoming leadership class, I'm going to teach you how to do these things. We're going to use real-life examples. This is why it's not going out on the deal or nobody else in the class going to get We're going to use real-life examples from my ministry that I can get in there and show you. Where I don't have to talk about the abstract. We can put it right down where it's at. In the Bible, you have vessels of honor and the vessels of dishonor. And in my way of thinking, you know what? You ought to learn from both. People that's a vessel of honor, you ought to learn how to be better. People who are vessels of dishonor, you ought to learn how not to be like it. And it's a thing where, you know, it's a thing where uh, you, you don't judge the person. They may be a great person. They may have all the potential in the world if they get past themselves. But when you build your life on solid doctrine, that sound doctrine will build your family first and then your ministry to others through a New Testament local church. It will be a contrast of what's real versus what's not real, like Christ and the Pharisees. And all the garbage that will be thrown at you, and it'll come. Once you get into the leadership mode and you start to do something and it's like you start to, you know, uh, uh, you start to do what you, God's called you to do, you're going to find it's going to come your way. It'll only be the mask of the lack of doctrine and fruit in their own lives. Because I'm going to say it again. People who have no fruit, people who talk big, talk loud, but yet their life is empty. They have absolutely God doing nothing in their world. They haven't won anybody to Christ ever in their life. They've been saved for years and years and years. They're going to reject and resent you having fruit in your life. Because you rip the covers back. You take away the appearance. And the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. Now, I want you to watch what I'm about to say here. You never judge people, but you judge what they do. The works. 
Now that's built on sound doctrine. Let me show you. <clears throat> now in our study on the seven judgments, you will find two in particular. For us as Christians, it's the judgment seat of Christ. We know that someday we're going to all go and appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You ever get that? Appear. 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 It says, we all shall appear. Your appearance is going to show up at the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> you better watch those words, man. And that's where every one of us, if you're saved this morning, we're going to stand and give an account. Then for the unsaved folks, <clears throat> you're going to stand at the great white throne judgment sometime later. But in both cases, I want you to note it. And I know we say this a lot, but we don't always articulate it maybe right. God does not judge the person. God does not, in either judgment, he does not judge the person. Watch. Let's look at the judgment seat of Christ first. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation another build thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. We've covered this many, many times, the foundation of the day you got saved. And then the rest of your Christian life, you build three things on that foundation that are right. Gold, silver, precious stone. Now watch. Verse 13. Every man's work. Not the man. His work. Shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man, uh, every man's work. Of what sort it is, he sorts out your work at the judgment seat of Christ. He doesn't judge you; he died for you. He dealt with you in this life as a son, and he either dealt with you through chastisement or forgiveness. When you get to the judgment seat of Christ, <clears throat> it's not a judgment against that person; it's a judgment on his work. And your work, your appearance is manifested. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as the fire. He doesn't judge people. He judges their works. He judges the, he makes a righteous judgment on the appearance. He judges things. That person, if he's saved, was already judged at Calvary's cross. And when he got saved, now he's judged through as a son through the chastisement. But here, he's not judged as an individual person. He judges his works. Now, let's fast forward to the great white throne judgment some thousand years later. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne on him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. You see that? 
And the she gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man, one more time for the slow class, every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's the manifestation of a saved person's works that get judged. At the great white throne judgment, it's the works of an unsaved man up against the Word of God. Now, do you see that? Now, this is what we find in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, where he says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and on he that sat upon him called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. It's a righteous judgment, see? A righteous judgment doesn't judge people. A righteous judge judges what people do. And when God judges you and me at the judgment seat of Christ, it isn't going to be a personal thing. It's simply going to be, what did you do based on what he did for you? Your work. Did you give the appearance that you did it? Or did you really do it? See? I mean, that's how it works. God doesn't judge the person. He died for the person. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says that he died for the unsaved teachers and preachers and, and false prophets. He died for them. They were judged at Calvary as a sinner when he gets to the great white throne judgment. He doesn't, they're already a sinner. He judges on what degree of hell they get by the works. Our works and just two things. Sound doctrine and the fruit of that work. We've all heard, not all of us, but many of you heard Mel Sabaka preach uh, over the years. We had him back in the day, and, and uh, many of you find his sermon. Somebody, I forget who it was, somebody sent me a sermon that they found that he preached. Uh, uh, it had to be a long time ago, but he preached a message on a work for God and a work of God. I've heard that message all my life from him. I've heard him preach that concept many, many times. He used to say that you'll either have a work for God or you have a work of God. He'd say most of preachers, most churches, most Christians have a work for God. But very few people have a work of God. Boy, there's a big difference. See, a legitimate work or an illegitimate work. A legitimate work of God will always, here it comes, will always produce fruit. End of story. I don't want to hear it. There's no exceptions. You're certainly not one. A legitimate work of of God will produce fruit. An illegitimate work for God will either produce no fruit or illegitimate fruit. Now, the reason you should never judge people but things, but not people, is because by their fruit, here it comes, by their fruit or by their lack of fruit, <laughs> you judge yourself, man. Amen. I don't have to do it. I just need to know what to look for. And then I need to make my judgment as a righteous judgment. Do I want that in my world? I love you. You're a nice guy. You're a nice gal. But do I want what you got in my space? You just know what to look for. You got to get past the appearance. You know what Paul said? You know, he's dealing with the church at Corinth. He writes two books. He writes 1 Corinthians, and they got all kinds of problems, and he's giving them what to, you know, and everything going through them and dealing with them. And then <clears throat> they get turned around, and they, in 2 Corinthians, 
he really writes a good book, which really forms for us the handbook of ministry. But yet, in, in spite of that, there was still some holdouts in the church at Corinth that didn't like Paul. They didn't like Paul just because they won't, didn't like Christ. They didn't like Paul just because they won't like you. And it's a thing where, uh, believe it or not, when he is trying to help them, I, I can just see this. A group of them had gotten together, <clears throat> and they really wanted to question Paul to his, did he have the credentials to be able to speak to this church? Did he have the authority to correct this church? Did he have the, did he have the, the stamp of approval for him to come into this church and to start ripping people apart like he did when he wrote 1 Corinthians in the first letter. And now keep in mind, Paul got his gospel straight from God. He is the apostle to the church. But here is the ridiculous, stupid Christians who now are questioning God's man, do you really have the credentials to correct this church? I love his answer. His answer stands for time and eternity, boy, and puts everybody in their place. And he answers them in chapter 3 of the book of 2 Corinthians, verses 1 and 2. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? What he's saying is, do I have to again tell you who I am? Or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you? Other people are saying, do you have a letter from God that proves you're the apostle of the church? Could we see it, please? I mean, in that first letter, you ripped a lot of people off. You said some nasty things to some people. You called them babies. You called them stupid. You, 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 did, you just really ripped them up one side and down the other. I, I, you, need, you need more humility. Could we see any letters of common that you really are who you say you are? That's what he's saying. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? I love this. Here's the answer. You, wanna, you want commendation? You want a letter? You want proof of who I am? Go look in the mirror. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You know what he's saying? You want proof that I'm God's man, that God sent me here to this church? <laughs> Go look in the mirror. You wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. Paul speaking. You wouldn't even be saved if I wouldn't have preached the gospel to you. You wouldn't even know what Bible you should have if I wouldn't have told you. And now you want to question that the Apostle Paul is the guy that can help you? You want proof that God is in my ministry? Just look at my fruit. And you know what? It's you. Ye are the epistle written in our hearts everybody's reading your book. In other words, you wouldn't even know anything about God, the right Bible, if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul speaking. Listen, your family, your children, your life, <clears throat> with absolutely no ministry and absolutely no fruit, is an open book to everybody around you. You like to give the appearance that it's okay. You like to blow the smoke of great smelling, swelling words. Yeah, smelling words. That was right, Bob. You did good. Great smelling words. Or do you have the hundreds, thousands of people your life has affected that stand as an epistle 
written in their hearts that is read of all men. You just want to keep your book closed so nobody can read it. I know how it plays. I know which way the wind blows, man. By their fruit you shall know them. And there's absolutely nothing more to say. And uh, again, I, I think I, I used to read these guys and hear these guys and when they talked about Dr. Ruckman. Certainly, they had no clue what they were talking about. 80 pages on, on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it was, I don't know. Accusing him of everything. They wrote books about him. They put out tapes on him. They called him the most dangerous man in America. And he was, to them. They tried to debate him. You can still get them online where a cat, Charles Keating, the Catholic guy, tried to debate him. The NIV guy tried to debate him. Every, this guy tried to debate him. I mean, that debate was over before it got started. And yet he was accused of everything. He was smashed. He was bashed. He was lied about. He was trashed. They said all kinds of things about him that were not true. They took things out of context. But boy, I'll tell you what, as I stand here today and seeing the fruit of that man's ministry, me included, Mel Sabaka, my father in the Lord, Sam Gibb, Peacock, Joe Silvestri, Jim Lake, Mike Veach, Pat Dean, Glenn Schunk, Herb Kuntz, Dean Hayes. The list is endless of fruit that God used that man and because other people out there had no fruit, had no authority. Amen. Their families were a disaster. They attacked the one man who was getting the job done. You know, I, you're all chiefied up today. I like that. <laughs> Everybody's got a thing for Patrick Mahomes, don't you, huh? No, sir. No, sir. no yeah, <laughs> shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> to my wife, he's tutti-frutti. Don't even go there. <laughs> I know. I have to hear that stuff. It was quiet upstairs yesterday when Ohio State got beat, oh, I'll tell you. There wasn't, no. But. Yeah, before I went downstairs, she said, now, there's going to be a lot of thumping and beating on the floor up here because they were getting ready to kick off. And she was all ready to have an Ohio State shirt on and everything, you know. And I said, okay. I'm down there for an hour. I was watching it, you know. Chuck dozing in and out. I was watching it. You know. I, I thought that song out of the, out of the movie *The Graduate*, the sign, sounds of silence. <laughs> Today at three forty-five, kickoff. The Cleveland Browns. Tomorrow morning, when I go to the gym, I'll hear all about it. All the armchair quarterbacks, you know, every, every time there's a game, I'll go there, you know, and everybody's changing clothes, you know, and they got to get out of the shower and everything, and everybody's just talking about what they should have done. I mean, here's a guy that hasn't seen his toes in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's, he's telling them what plays they should have run. Are you kidding me? Why, if this guy was on that field, I mean, he'd be dead in the first 15 seconds. 
And yet they're out there saying, well, you know what? They should have played this way. They should have done this. You know that coach, he's not calling the right play. Oh, really? You ever played the game? You ever stood up there, uh, you know, I mean, you ever stood up there behind a guy and you know that there's 10 guys going to come and, and, and rearrange your molecules here in just a second? <laughs> you ever snap that ball when it goes so fast and you've got a split second to decide and look across that thing? Oh, yeah, you're in your armchair you know, eating your, your Lado Frito-Lay potato chips, you know, and saying, yeah, what? that was a bad play. Really? Come on, Pillsbury Doughboy, why don't you get out there and show us how to do it? You know, there's people who do the same thing with pastors, pastoring churches. They never pastored a church. They, they don't know. If they had got a problem where you got you have to deal with a whole issue to help people and get it, they could do it if their life depended on it. They've never built a church. They've never even built a person. You can't even build your family. But you're an expert. You're an expert, just like the guys tomorrow at the gym. And they're up there, you know, they'll be showering in the shower and say, ah, they should have played it this way. Yeah, that one play, you know, and I'll tell you what, that coach, they need to get rid of this guy. They need to get rid of that. Really? No, they just need you out there. Armchair quarterbacks. So quick to criticize trash when they've never played the game of life themselves. Yet, their fruit basket is completely empty. Or in some cases, and you want to read Jeremiah chapter 24, verses 1 through 10, it, your basket is filled with rotten figs. Folks, you never judge by the appearance of anything. If you learn anything from this verse today that will help you going forward, be smarter than the problem. You need to build your confidence in the Lord because fear is coming. And fear will always get you to the place where you make bad choices. And if your confidence is not ground in the Word of God, it's a sound doctrine is the basis for everything that you do. You'll never produce any fruit. And yet you'll see so many of God's people, the armchair quarterbacks, Oh, they got the advice for everybody. They criticized Dr. Ruckman up one side and down the other. They criticized Christ up one side and down the other. They're all in the same boat. They're all in the same boat. You never judge by the appearance of anything. You look at the life and how and what they do. Does it line up to doctrine? And then you look in their fruit basket. Nothing else to be said. You see, today... This kind of message would invoke a riot simply because so many people don't like the mask being pulled off. They've got so many of God's people believing that they're doing the right thing, that they love God, the Bible, and all this stuff, but yet they're an empty suit. And when the Word of God gets into the world, it exposes them. You don't, you don't have to judge people. They will judge themselves. Just look at the fruit. Don't tell me about the guys that hated Ruckman versus Ruckman. Just look at the fruit. One of the guys that hated him and wrote a book about him, his son blew his brains out. Pretty good fruit. Hope you had a basket to catch it all. Don't tell me, man. I've been in this business too long. I know how it works. 
It started all the way back with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the scribes and the Pharisees. He had authority and he had doctrine and they didn't. He had the fruit, they didn't. And people who don't have the authority or they don't have the fruit will always hate the ones that do. And you're going to find yourself in that boat. You go through the leadership and you get these things and you see how this thing really goes together and how it really works. I'm going to tell you something. And then you put it to work in your life. And this, this church is filled with potential. Absolutely over the top. I mean, you know, you, you are, this church is filled to the brim with young singles, young couples, moms and dads, you older folks that just have, you have the potential the unity is, is, the, is, is to hold it all together and be whatever God wants this church to do. I mean, you guys are, you guys are operating in a, on a level that's, that's hard to even fathom. And yet I want to make you better. This is so true. Mahomes is a great quarterback, no question about it. Probably the best quarterback that ever played. Right, Alex? But you know what makes him really a good, great, great, great quarterback? Great players around him. You know what makes me better as your pastor? The great people around me. You know what makes the people sitting next to you better? You sitting next to them. Good, strong people make other good, strong people better. Iron sharpeneth iron. A church ought to be filled with people who make the pastor better, the pastor who makes the people better, and the people who make each other better. That's New Testament Christianity based on the Bible. That's it. That's a oneness. That's a unity. That's taking everybody that God gives us and and helping you be better because it only makes me better. I'm 71 years old. I know I get up in the morning and I'm achy and I'm, you know, I, I feel 71. But you know what? I can still do a lot of things that probably guys that are in their 50s and 60s can't do. I sleep good. <laughs> My naps are wonderful in the afternoon. <laughs> You know, I, at 71, I feel, in my mind, I feel like I'm still 35 because of you guys. If we had a church like most churches that had everybody that looked like a graveyard of dinosaurs heading for Florida, <laughs> I'd be right in there with them. You keep me young. It's an old thing. If you have an old dog and you want to give him some life, get a puppy. Well, I'm the old dog and you're the puppies. Don't you lift your leg in my pulpit up here. You're in trouble if you do. <laughs> but it's a thing where, you know what? We, we help each other. You make me better, I make you better. That's what it's supposed to be. It, you, you keep me going. You give me hope. You give me, you give me confidence in what we're doing here because I see the hand of God in so many ways. You guys out there winning people to Christ and doing this and doing that and going out there and doing all you do. We go down to Branson for a nice fun time. It turns into a missions trip. 
These are the things that a church should do. And yet, we're in the midst. You know what? I looked at Dr. Ruckman and all he did and all he touched in those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives. And you realize he did it from a church that wasn't any bigger than ours. He had a Bible institute just like we do. In fact, he's the pattern by which I followed. And we're reaching the world in our young stage just like he did after all the years that he did it. But that's the right pattern. And uh, his church kept him young. You know how I know that? Because he didn't retire from playing hockey being the goalie until he was 85. We make each other better. We make each other stronger. But we've got to get past this thing of looking at things by the appearance of it. Whether it be the government, the country, the world, see it for what it is, understand it for what it is, and then let's get back and do what God's called us to do. And yet we'll find within Christianity the appearances. They'll be taken care of when we all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. You follow two things. You follow the doctrine and the fruit. You stay with those two things, everything else can just be put in the wastebasket. Well, I'll hold up there. Now, don't forget to sign up for Jeffrey.